Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in to The Diana Show. This is the second part of my conversation with Sandy and Crystal, uh, two black women who are moms and living in Nevada and Northern Virginia. If you have not subscribed yet, please do so because it'll give you a notification on your phone when my next podcast comes out. So enjoy this conversation and drop me a comment. I'd love to hear what you thought. I think, I think the transition for like Black Lives Matter is that um, kind of like, like referencing back to the LGBTQ community is that um, the more people, like when you're saying your friends that you did not know that they were, they were gay, but you got to know them as like human beings. Yeah. And therefore when you found out it wasn't it was like, you just love them. You know what I right. mean? And I feel like that slowly um, is, is kind of um, spreading through a lot of people because there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of hate and, and those people got to know the people inside. And then once they found out that they were gay, it was like, who freaking cares? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, they're touching one person at a time and it's spreading. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's hard for black people to do that. Cause it's like, we have our skin and I've definitely had friends that have admitted like that they stereotype black people that they're like, Oh, well, I just automatically think that they're like poor or ghetto or, you know, until they have to prove to me that they're different, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's just how it is. And, and so it's kind of like, but that's another there, really interesting question is that, you know, is there something wrong with someone who's in a state of being poor or ghetto too? Because why can't we reach out and either help people out of poverty or accept people kind of where they at, where they're at along their journey? Like for instance, say I'm right. like, mm-hmm. I, at one time I was a 260 pound woman and I've become much more healthy. I'm now like 190 pounds now to put into perspective, my five foot 10. So I'm very tall too, okay. but because I was a fat woman and now I'm kind of more of like a, just an extra large woman to have people reach out and accept me either way, because I'm on a journey. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, I hate, gosh, I hate to like, this is going to really go south if people hear this and say, this white lady is comparing my, you know, poverty in the ghetto to her being fat, you know, wham, wham, you know, that's not what I mean at all. I'm just saying mm-hmm. we're all kind of on a journey. And I think it's really interesting, the poverty issue um, aspect to the whole thing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can, we can yeah. debate as far as the degree of, you know, who has it worse. But at the end of the day, I think that basically being judged and putting, ca- being categorized does not feel Stereotype. good in mm-hmm. any, in any circumstance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The why do, <laughs> and why do we have to work extra hard to change your mind? Why mm-hmm. don't you have an open mind? Like anyways, mm-hmm. why am I automatically put into this this category of um being lazy and uh i i live off the government Mm -hmm. and i don't have any work ethic or you know i i'm i can probably jump high (laughs) you know what i mean or bet you she's good at at sports or why 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 yeah (laughs) and i think that speaks to how we all just need to be treated and looked at as individuals you know i was just talking with um, my girlfriend earlier on our call 
who's black. She's a member of the um, women's uh, women's Alliance for, you know, she's a lawyer. So she's got a very good high power job, but you know, through, you know, half an hour into our conversation, she's practically in tears and she's like, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. afraid I've experienced racism. I've experienced discrimination. I've experienced not being able to get as far as I should have been able to get in my job and having to have someone who was of color reach back and help me up. And why does it have to be that way? And when you think about someone who's, she had a mom and dad in the home, she had help getting through college. She had a lot of advantages if someone like that is behind the eight ball trying to get along and feels afraid, imagine how it feels for someone who's being raised by a single mom um, and that mom's working several jobs and isn't able to be, you know, a parent. I mean, it's just when you start breaking it down like that, it's like, wow. Especially for someone like me, I'm like, okay, dum-dum, open your eyes and start listening. Yeah. Because not all yeah. lives are created equal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And just like that study, um, Sandy, I, I can't remember her name. What's her name? You were talking about the lady who did the blue-eyed, brown-eyed study. Um, Jane. Jane Elliott, I think. Jane Elliott. Um, and she asked the question of how many, how many, she was talking to a, a class of white people, how many of you would mm-hmm. choose in your lifetime today to switch mm-hmm. places with a black person. And, you know, and like, for me, it comes down to just that. If someone is still wants to argue about it, like, would you change places with me? Like at the end of the day, and, and if your answer is no, that's something that you have to deal with internally. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, and I just feel like if people just make it simple and clean, just as that, like, why? Yeah. <laughs> um, then, then you go on your journey and, right. and figure that out right. for yourself. And I think this process is hard only because it requires a lot of self-reflection. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. am I making these assumptions off of impressions or past or general, you know, stereo- stereotypes that I believe are true? Or am I informed about the situation? I actually experience these things or these, you know, I, I have information, actual factual evidence that supports my beliefs and facts and a lot of people don't want to Mm self-reflect and do not Mm -hmm. want to have to answer those types of questions yeah because that's a lot of work and that's a lot of heartbreak honestly to look at some of those things and realize yeah um you know I have a son who has never experienced having a black teacher in my um in the 18 years that he's been in the school district and that's a problem number one because we don't have any black teachers mm-hmm. here. Number two, it's a problem for my son because he's never gotten to experience it. And number three, it's a problem because I never even realized it until last weekend when I was standing up at a demonstration and heard uh, it was like a, a teacher that was speaking. And I turned to my girlfriend and I said, have, have your kids ever had a black teacher? And she's like, no. And then I came home and I asked my son, have you ever had a black <laughs> teacher? Like even a little bit of a black teacher, like just a little bit that you thought maybe they were black. Nope, none. And so when you think about the fact that it's never even dawned on me as a parent, who's been very active in her children's schools for the last 15 years, kindergarten through senior year, Mm -hmm. that's white privilege. Because honestly, if I was a black woman, like my girlfriend here is in town and I was putting my boys through school, like she is, 
I would have to consider, do I want to live here and have my boys never have anyone that they can relate to um, aesthetically that, that looks similar to them, that can inspire them, that can make them reach for more? Absolutely. I know I definitely, and I definitely, when I moved to Virginia, looked for a Mm -hmm. black doctor because I want my daughter to talk to someone um, that looks like her. We chose her school based off of the diversity because I want her to be around all types of people. The place that we moved from, we moved from a small town in Weston, Missouri, and she was the only black girl, I want to say, mm-hmm. in the school. Like, maybe there maybe mm-hmm. there was another one. And um, so it's just like, I feel like it's very, very, diversity is very, very, very mm-hmm. important so that they're not feeling like the token mm-hmm. black girl and they're not having to deal with the comments that I had to just say whatever mm-hmm. about, you know what I mean? Um, because, um, yeah, it's just really sad, but I, I, I definitely do look at that and I want her to have just, or even, I mean, break it down to Barbie dolls. I feel like if you are in a diverse area, I make sure she has all nationalities, I, you know, like I want her to think everything is beautiful, not just like white Barbies or white cabbage patch kids. And you know what I mean? Um, I want her to be able to identify and love and think everything mm-hmm. is beautiful. Yeah. Because that's just so. going to make her a better, more <clears throat> well-rounded woman in 20 years, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. ladies, um, I have this one last question and then we can wrap up and we can have another conversation later if you think of anything else. But um, I wanted to say there's a quote and I, I wish I had it exact verbatim, but I don't, but basically something it's Ben Franklin's quote, but it's basically saying we won't see any justice until the unaffected are as destroyed and upset about what's going on to the people who are affected. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you hear that, is there anything that you wish that white people who were listening would hear? Um, Sandy, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, Sure, I'll I'll go. Um, Okay. I think the message that I would take away from that is that um the injustices that are done to certain people whether whatever race nationality religion they are if you think that it's wrong that you should stand up and say something as well because the voices of the people that are being treated in a particular way is not going to be enough it's going it needs to be everybody that wants a particular um society for their children, for their grandchildren. If you are not active or not doing anything, then obviously those conversations and those things are going to be harder to, you know, overcome in Mm -hmm. the future. So if we are all doing this and we are all working as one right now and we are all supporting Mm -hmm. each other, we can find support and numbers and we can have these conversations and we can make you know, a better future for our kids and our grandkids and our families. Beautiful. Love it. And and I feel like uh, there's a lot of, 
I want to say, I, I feel like it's the wrong word, compromise, because I feel like Black people have been compromising for, for many, many, many years. Um, and so I feel like there has to be a sense of like personal responsibility and self-reflection. And I feel like police, I'm going to throw in the police because I feel like this is kind of mm-hmm. what kicked this all off, is I feel like police are in defense mode when they go to these black communities or they're in defense mode when they're approaching a black person. And I think that there's a lot of self-reflection that needs to be had for them to Mm -hmm. ask themselves why. Um, And then also there's black people that are in defense mode when the police stop them or when the, Mm -hmm. when the police approach them. And then there has to be, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a gap, there's a a trust um, Mm -hmm. that there's a mistrust and how do we like bridge the gap? And, and I think that the gap um, needs to start, the, the olive branch needs to start from the police because they have to gain the trust. It's kind of like, I use the reference of like the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. The whole motto is to win the hearts and minds yeah. of the people. <laughs> so what is the difference if you are to protect and serve um, your jobs mm-hmm. to, to protect us. So, so bridge that gap and earn that trust in your communities. Don't go in there slamming them to the ground. And, and I'm not saying all police do that, but I do see that police that care show a genuine mm-hmm. concern and kindness. Kindness doesn't cost that much um, just to people just saying, Hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. That could change the, the, that individual's fear um, for who knows how long until it's burned out but um that just just a little bit of kindness if, if everyone could treat everyone and and not see all black people as something that you have to be yeah, super aggressive yeah. against you know? well i've got a question so. for you guys i first of all i just like totally loved i could sit and talk to you guys all day you both have super soothing voices I'm ready for a little nap now after this. Well, com- it's, I thought it would be uncomfortable, but it's been actually very comforting. Um, I have a very close girlfriend who is um, a police officer in LA. And um, this has really been a challenging time for her, obviously. And um, one of the things that she said, uh, among many things, but one of the things that she said that really stuck out to me was in a heartbreaking tone, she said, you know, we've done so much work since 92 when some brutally, Mm -hmm. uh, some brutality went on with Rodney Rodney King. King. And then unfortunately we made the huge mistake Mm -hmm. of sending, uh, sending the jury to Simi Valley, an all white jury. I mean, it was just a mess. And so she feels like Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. whole career has been since about that time to now. And it's heartbreaking for her to see, all the work that she's done and then see it reflected in such um, a poor light because, you know, she does do things like take her police belt off in communities and go jump in the bounce houses and go read in schools. And she's a good cop and she does a lot of community service. And so I really am curious what you girls would say to some, another woman who is a police officer um, about her service or like, just something like, what would you say if that was your friend to keep her morale up and keep her kind of pumped up to keep doing the good work? Um, I can 
jump in really quick and just say that I can relate to um, as far as understanding how it is to be categorized as mm -hmm. one thing um, and basically like one force based on the um, principle of what someone else did or how mm -hmm. they think. Um, and I understand that not all policemen are like that. It is unfortunate that the work that they have been doing is being unrecognized by, you know, this, what is happening. But at the same time, this issue is still here. This issue is still now. This issue has been echoing, you know, for decades and decades. Um, and I think that, that she is still doing great work. However, if there are bad apples or if there are things that need to be done that, you know, hopefully she can have those conversations and start to, you know, build up strength and community within her own to fight against injustices within mm -hmm. her own department or not department, but, you know, mm -hmm. field profession. profession. Yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like to tell her, I would say... I have friends. I have friends that I vacation with that are cops. And um, I would totally understand that that not all cops are like this, just like not all Black people right. are criminals, right? Um, and I completely understand that. My only thing that I would say to her is like, go to bed knowing that mm -hmm. you're doing the right thing. You know what I mean? And I guess it's it would be settling for yourself like to keep like yeah. doing the right thing because I believe that there's a lot of people, a lot of cops that are, um, uh, I'm trying to figure out the word. There's been a lot of like bad that's probably happened oh, yeah. in their career. Some, maybe not all. And they're just kind of like, F everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're all criminals. And, and I feel like those are the ones yeah. who should probably retire. Um, if, if you've gotten to the point to where you can't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, do the right thing, uh, then it's time. If you can't do your job, you know, if you're a hairstylist and you can't cut hair anymore, or hold a blow dryer, mm -hmm. it's time for you to find another job. Um, so, but I, I think like with her, I can only imagine how tough this is on her. Um, and, and, and I'm sure in some aspects she feels like she's right. getting the backlash for it because, um, it's not necessarily her doing it, but that is also how all black people feel yeah. every single day. Yeah. Every single day. And let me tell you, walking into a store, I have to feel like my hands are, are, able to be seen uh, if I pick something up I have to make sure I put it back and it's seen and it's just like we walk through life like with having to make sure I'm not a criminal my hands are up my hands are out I, ne I never put my hands in my pocket that's just something oh, I'm sorry go ahead go ahead no, no I was gonna say it. or that our body gestures are not one like that we're not Defensive. yeah that we're not a threat or that basically move in a right. way that we're not mm -hmm. intimidating like a whole bunch of things that just go through every single day going grocery shopping just you know driving outside and it's kind of like I mean to bring up the coronavirus I was asking my friends about you know their perspective on wearing masks and I've heard both sides as far as people lashing out at them 
whether they wear masks or not. And going and walking through a crowd and seeing, you know, the perspective of someone else staring at you, whether you do wear or wear a mask or not is affecting. And um, um, it's kind of like that as far as being black, you just go, you know, wherever you're going, you do and you can tell the people that have an issue with you for some unknown reason. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I would just say, I understand, uh, I, I empathize with her. Um, but I, I just know that I go to bed at night knowing that I'm doing the right thing. And, and for those who don't like that's karma, bad karma, you know, being sent your way. So I feel like, I guess after having a conversation with her, I came away learning a lot and a lot was illuminated for me. But I also felt like she in particular compared to me and this, I'm not speaking for you guys because I don't think this is the case for you, but in Orange County, mm-hmm. it's predominantly white. Um, we definitely don't have a, like a criminal aspect and we don't have a lot of poverty here at all. So she in particular is driving her car into lower ends and seeing things that I'm not seeing. And so I think it's really important for me to keep perspective um, and respect for her and, and her career and, and really like to kind of, I, I almost feel like I'm like, I almost want to like pump her up and bring her a coffee and because she's the one that's doing, she's the one that can be the good. Um, because I'm not going out right, there being right. the good really, but she could go out there and be the good. She can go mm-hmm. out there and be the eyes and ears. And, um, I think it's really important for, you know, us to stand behind good, police officers that are doing really hard work that we've never and I I mean I would never take on that job because I just I couldn't I have I'm too soft-hearted and it would break my heart to see the things that go on so yeah right I agree and also they I do have respect for police Um, I understand that they put their lives on the line they see I they deal with things that I will never you know comprehend I will never know um, I, I do respect them. I understand that when they pull up to a situation, yeah. they never know what they're going to get type situation and they have to be prepared and use the training that they were, um, that they were taught in order to defend themselves, deflect the situation or whatnot. Um, but at the same time as being a black woman and, and having my son that is black or mixed race as well. Um, I feel the same or similar, not, not saying that I put my life on the line or anything, but I do feel I have to second guess or think about my life when a cop mm-hmm. presence is around me, or I feel like I don't know what I'm going to Yeah, get I think one of you. Well. And so maybe hence that's why. That's... Oh, I'm sorry. No, you finish. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, hence, I think that's why some people as well are nervous because, you know, that is that is the fear on the other side yeah, as well. We don't know what we're going to get. Or it could be a cop on a power trip, right? I get what you're mm-hmm. saying. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of you, when I was uh, doing like the preliminary interviews, I can't remember which one of you girls it was, said that if you had to call 911, you would have to really think about whether or not you would call 911. Uh, yeah, because... Yeah, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's me. I mean, to um, elaborate on that, I'm okay with calling the ambulance or the fire department. But as far as the police department, 
And depending on the situation, if it was a car accident, yes. But if it was something really, I don't know, um, like an emergency situation, like a burglary or something like that, I don't know if I would necessarily call them right away or call them period. I don't know. Or, or I just, I feel that I would with as little information and training and knowledge as I have, I feel that I am would fight for my life more than they would. And I would rather put my life in my hands than theirs. And that's not a disrespect, hopefully to them. Um, I just feel that, that because I don't know what I'm going to get, I feel that I should, I should inform myself and do things to protect myself. So Mm -hmm. that way I don't have to call them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's good to hear your voice and hear you say that because um, I think it's important to know that there's a certain percentage of people that feel that way. Um, I can tell you my, my nanny Mm -hmm. who, uh, she's not my nanny anymore, but she was my nanny for many years when I was working and she has children that are the same age as my children. So in the summer, she would ride the bus here and bring her kids and we would have a whole house full of kids. And it was awesome. Summers were always awesome and messy and, um, lots of popsicles here, but she took my kids on the bus to her house regularly too. And they would spend the night out there. And my kid, those two kids that would go out there are very white, uh, very, very redheaded and white. And, uh, she took them once to Knott's Berry farm and lost my son and they got separated. And because she is um, not here legally, she was afraid to go to the authorities and have the authorities help find my son. And so my son, um, I mean, he, he wasn't like a little, little kid. He was like 11 or so, but it went on for a few hours. And so my son went to, um, uh, you know, he went to whatever the, the police substation or the, you know, lost and found kids or whatever. But Lupita didn't because she, she was afraid to. And I think that that's very, I mean, that's very telling too, that like, that's what we, that's what we have law enforcement for is to serve and protect. Um, And and I think it should Mm -hmm. be such a revered position, but in order for it to be revered again, I think we have to really take a look at the behaviors of some of these officers who aren't behaving in a way um, that reflects all of the good police officers, because we all, we all want to be protected. We all want to know that we could call the police and, and that they would come and rescue us if we needed them. I feel like they would. I feel I live exactly. right by the police station. Yeah. I wave at them every day, although they drive too fast down my street. I will complain about that, right. but I, I feel super protected <laughs> and I think you deserve that too. You deserve that. feel that way too. So that's, that's, that's just work. That takes work to talk about it. And the first step really is to talk about it, acknowledge it, have a conversation about it. And then you move on. You, you get enough people talking about it and then you move on to like a community forum where we're talking about it. And that's where these conversations can take us to, I think. Absolutely. Well, I totally love talking to you girls. I want to do it again. Ah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was very a lot of fun. There is so much. I feel like there's still yeah. so much. <laughs> we just scratched yeah, the surface. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Um, so I thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Sandy and Crystal. 
I loved what they said about self-reflection and how hard it is to be vulnerable enough to take a look at what our part is in this whole situation. And I think that that is such a huge step is just to be able to say, oh, okay, let me take a deep dive and a deep look into what my part is into what's going on in our country right now. I also loved the message that they had for police officers, uh, specifically good cops who are out there working hard for us. So please make sure that you subscribe so that the next time a podcast comes out, you will get a notification. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.